Horrific Network Entertainment. podcast man i am your host jimmy happy to be here happy to be with you guys as always every week we are here and excited to be here for you guys so over the course of the last couple weeks obviously last week we did a haunt speculation show with review it rob and zach from the thrill me podcast network that was a lot of fun and the response to that was really wonderful and i thank you guys for all the support throughout um but since then the strike has happened and that has been a huge thing now the writers guild was on strike for a while um, has been on strike for a while and now the Screen Actors Guild has joined them in strike. The first time in over 60 years, both unions simultaneously have gone on strike. Huge hit to the entertainment industry that is going to affect everything. It's going to affect podcasting. It's going to affect um a lot of different uh, outcomes in the entertainment industry. It's going to affect convention appearances. It's going to affect, um, really, it's going to affect everything. And only time will tell how fastly this thing can get settled. Because if it's one thing that executives and studio heads and everybody does not enjoy i would say is it is losing money so um you know hopefully this will be the kind of precedent that settles that but the good news for the immediate future is this show will continue as far as we're concerned um in one way or another it's going to continue. Now, what that may entail is eventually we may pull from our library of past interviews and repost them. We may have um, you know, special shows like we did last week. We may have all kinds of stuff to fill the gap of you know, not getting to talk to people because one of the things that it definitely reads like is that the union in solidarity, which we support wholeheartedly, uh, is not allowed to really do podcasting appearances because of being on strike. Now, again, we do have a, a huge library and we do have a, um, 
several weeks of interviews from just the past Sinister Creature Con we did in June that will get us through, you know, at least until haunt season. So if we do have to re- repeat interviews at some point, we're talking like that would not really come into effect until after Halloween, which hopefully by then the thing is settled and everybody is excited to get back to work. But if it doesn't, hopefully we can, um, you know, we definitely stand again with the unions and the actors and writers getting, you know, exactly what they deserve, which is fair compensation for the work that they do. I thought that Fran Dresser's uh, speech when she pretty much said, you know what, we haven't been able to settle anything. Um, she seemed very optimistic at first, but now it seems very not. I mean, she was not optimistic when she announced that they're going on strike. Like, she was mad um, and determined. At least that's how she presented herself. And, you know, that is something that will you know, be coming into effect sooner than later. The biggest thing I think for everybody is that we will have a big time situation right at our front door for a while until things can settle themselves down and there's an agreement made. Fran Dresser, you know, who is the president of the union, said that they're way far apart right now. Hopefully that comes, uh, you know, that does not uh, stay that way for very long. Today, though, we have a a really cool guest, uh, Rachel True from The Craft and Half-Baked. She was at Sinister Creature Con And Ashley from Higby Horror Hunt on the moderator team did a really cool interview with her. They talk about all kinds of stuff. Uh, I've just now started to kind of get into tarot card reading. And I love tarot card reading. And Rachel True was a, or still is, uh, very much into tarot cards as well. So that is uh, something that will, I don't think, I don't know if they touch on it in this interview, but getting to talk to her about that and her taking the time to talk to me about it was really cool. Um, I thought that everything with her and her work, The Craft, of course, is an iconic movie, Real, real good time getting to listen to Ashley and Rachel talk. In other news, man, well, Ashley, John, and I just went on Cities the Red Door. That's kind of the newest horror movie that has been in theaters. There is several movies coming to theaters that are done, and I do not believe the strike will affect any of those. But it's going to affect uh, movies that were being filmed 
currently, like Deadpool 3, halted production. All the studios have, in since shut down. But there are a lot of horror movies coming out uh, relatively soon. Still, seeing the previews for movies like Cobweb and um, Talk to Me, stuff like that. Like, those movies look scary. Like, it, this year has been a stacked year for horror movies. I mean, it started with Scream 6, which we thought was was well done. But, man, like, in retrospect, we are getting a lot of great horror movies still in the second half of 2022 that are coming. We still have a Saw one. We still have a, uh, still have a Saw movie, still have... You know, uh, Five Five Night at Freddy's, which seeing that trailer in the theater last night, I was like, I don't know about this movie, but if anything, it's going to be a fun movie. You know what I mean? All the way to like the last voyage of the demeanor, the Dementor, that movie looks terrifying and beautiful. So shit, man, like it's a good time still to be a horror movie fan. And we are blessed to be able to go to horror movies in the theater anyway. So, yeah. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is we will have uh, this backlog of Sinister June interviews, but you can watch all these interviews if you want to, on video form on the Horrific Network Facebook or the um, Horrific Network YouTube channel. Like, we have all of them already in a playlist as we do uh, Sinister Creature Con, every Sinister Creature Con. We have a playlist of stuff that we have done interview-wise for Sinister Creature Con archived all the way back to like five years ago. So you can go back and do that. We will be doing uh, a series of Haunt Season appearances this year, and we will be at a lot of different stuff. A lot of cool stuff is on the way haunt season wise and I'm going to start doing a podcast that is more um, based upon re-airing haunt seasons of the past to get ready for haunt season over the course of the next couple months here in July and August until haunt season 2023 officially kicks off so not like a ton because we're closer than we think to haunt season 2023 beginning. We're 50 some odd days away. So not going to be like a lot of these re-airs, but there's going to be some, especially like the Halloween Horror Nights, stuff like that, that uh, we have done in the past that have been a lot of fun. So that show is going to be called Haunt Graveyard. And that will be starting uh, probably this week. Upon the airing of this podcast, we will do a Haunt Graveyard show from a couple years ago. Like the re-air of some of the fun um, 
Halloween Horror Nights moments and Not Scary Farm moments, stuff like that, just to kind of get you ready for Haunt Season 2023, which now, no pressure, is bigger and better than ever. You will hear John, Ashley, and I touch on the fact that Stranger Things 4 has been announced for Halloween Horror Nights this year. Joining Chucky and The Last of Us. Don't know why Chucky is not in any of the marketing material on the website, but it was announced. So I would say that it's still, you know, happening, but they sure have kind of uh, strayed away from pushing Chucky very hard uh, as far as what's going on. But when you have properties like The Last of Us and, um, now Stranger Things 4, Chucky, you know, is going to take a back seat, I think. But the rest of the HHN announcements are coming and we will probably do a special, uh, like once they announce everything coming to HHN, I'll probably do a solo show. And I know Rob and Zach, hopefully Brooke and Wonderful, will join when we get closer to actually going on our trip uh, like an HHN haunt uh, hype list. And I know John, Ashley, Jason will probably be joining for a haunt season preview. Anyway, man, I've rambled enough about the current state of things and what I'm excited about coming for the back half of summer into the fall, movie-wise and haunt season-wise. Again, if you want to hear our Stranger Things 4 discussion about what that means for Haunt Season in more detail, you can on this week's Campfire Chronicles when we review the Red Door and do um, talk about Stranger Things. (laughs) But right now, again, let's get into the craft interview with Rachel True, and I'll be back on the other end to tell you what's coming.
that's the shorter version. So no, but uh, when that script did hit my thing, I was like, I think I'm pretty prepared for this. I feel like I've spent, and I'm telling that story on purpose because sometimes you're preparing for things and you don't even know, right? Like I didn't know that that script was gonna show up, but the fact that I'd done all that work put me in the exact mindset to get that. So I'm always like, follow what your intuitive heart. He's like, oh, I'm gonna start woodworking, why? But you never know why down the line that is your calling. Kind of like divine intervention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and if you guys don't know um, the book, it's uh, got a set of tarot cards with it, 78 tarot cards, and it has 22 of her memoirs that she's put in there. So it's definitely um, something to check out. It's a full how-to, like how to, how to learn this. And by the way, like if any of you, I, I put this in specifically in the book for my friends and people who are super religious. I don't think there's anything out of alignment with Christ consciousness or whatever your particular belief is with tarot cards. They're literally there, as Carl Jung said, to tap into yourself and get in touch with your higher self. And more importantly, to look at your shitty lower self. But you don't have to tell anyone. It's just you. And that's a little less, uh, it's a way to release shame. Okay, so... In the, the film The Craft, and you know, that's what we're, everyone knows mostly from, um, yourself, Nev, and Feruza were portrayed as the best of friends. Does that still remain today? Well, I, I mean, listen, they're all great. I, I think, though, when you're shooting a movie and you're playing best friends, it doesn't really mean you're best friends. <laughs> Is the truth, you know? But um, I'm so friendly with all of them. In fact, I literally just got a text from Feruza you know, at my table. So yeah, you know, we all go in and out. You know, some people have kids, some don't, um, but they're a terrific group of, of women now. Yeah. Um, so at the time of filming The Craft, roles in Hollywood were few and far between for people of color. Do you feel that that has changed for the better today? Um, sure. You know, you can't say it hasn't because there's plenty of other, um, we see a lot more diversity on camera at this point. I would say now that I'm a grown-up lady, that's a different set of things that comes into play compared to being a 20-year-old and dealing with, oh, we don't want anyone black in this movie. Like with the craft, it wasn't written for anyone brown. I just was like, I will be a witch in this movie. So I made that happen. Um, and I think, again, there's definitely ageism that comes into play when you're more of a grown-up. But I, my thing is like, you can either be so upset and whine about everything that comes your way, or you can go, oh, oh, okay, now I'm older and the roles are a little different, or I'll write a book. I'll use my other talents, is I'm always sort of looking for the angle, I suppose. You know, people are like, no. I'm like, really? Watch me. So that's just kind of my philosophy. But I think that comes out of, to be honest, being a mixed black person in the 90s trying to get acting work and being told, no, you can't read for this, no, no, no. All the time, all I ever heard was no. And I was like, really? So now I do tell some of my friends to think, think like a 90s mixed black chick. <laughs> just don't take no for an answer. So recently you just did Harlem. I did. And Which it is, was, wait, that's a show about four women who live in Harlem. <laughs> and it's actually a great show. It's super cute. Super, show. super great. You play Amy. Amy runs uh, a plant store. She's so prepared. <laughs> I actually watched the show before I even knew that I was oh. part of this. So I was a fan of the show before all this got started. Um, 
And I love Amy's character and how like fluid she is, and she's like all about her plants and trying, you know, trying to help. Um, is it Ty? Ty. Ty. Ty grow and you know and develop this relationship and all of this in, in the show. Um, how proud are you? Uh, of Harlem and the topics of black women with their experiences and representation in the queer community. So. Um, I love that show. I really do. It's If you haven't seen it, it's a show on Amazon Prime. And um, it's kind of like, I suppose, Sex in the City-esque, right? But it is very, of this moment right now, it is what younger people are up to in this 2023 moment. Because I was saying to someone like in the, in the 90s, we didn't know we were in a moment. You're just living your life. But that was a moment, just like now is a moment for what is happening with young people. So I love what they've done with it. Um, Tracy Oliver, she wrote Girls Trip. She's one of the producers on it. And she just offered it to me, which was really sweet. And I, that's why I say it's of, of the moment now, especially yeah. when we're talking about um, uh, sexuality and gender identity. By the way, I was on TikTok. I know. I'm old and I'm on TikTok. I kind of love it, actually. It's like YouTube and Instagram. But there's this little French girl, and she looked at the um, uh, pride rainbow sticker, and she goes, La GBT quoi? And I went, oh my god, that's how I'm going to say it from now on. La GBT quoi? I was like, that's so perfect. So I think they do terrific things with that, whatever side you're on. Doesn't really matter because it's about seeing, right? What right. else is out there? Does it mean you have to do it? But it's just we're acknowledging that other people um, exist outside of our uh, our concern norms. But by the way, the other thing about TikTok is everyone everyone is neurodivergent on there. And so finally, I was like, listen, if everyone's neurodivergent, then no one is divergent. If everyone is neurodivergent, you know what I'm saying? Like if everyone's that, then it's actually the norm. But that's a conversation for another day. You can take up with your teenagers, <laughs> like you. <laughs> um, so you've had some appearances on three of the biggest shows in the 90s. You were on The Cosby Show. That's where you made your debut, right? Um, you did Beverly Hills 90210. I did. You also were a part of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I was. Yeah. So were, uh, were you going to auditions? Were you seen somewhere? How did all those roles come about? And how did that help prepare you or lead you into the craft? Um, I think uh, I was auditioning. Like I had agents and you had to go. You went in person back then and you read maybe up to five times sometimes for the same role. Um, 90210, they just offered me because I had read for a couple other parts that I didn't get. And then that's what they would do is if they liked you, they'd give you a, some other smaller part. Um, Fresh Prince, I definitely auditioned for. I feel like all of that, it all feeds into one because auditioning, I don't know if any of you are actors out there, but auditioning is its own set of skills. Meaning there are some people who are just amazing at auditioning and then they get on set and they crumple because they only know that one thing. And then there's other people who are terrible at auditioning, but they're terrific on set. So my goal was always to try to like split the difference and try to be decent at both because auditions are, for me, I'm an anxious person. We're always really nerve-wracking, to be honest. So now we film them at home for the most part, which sounds great because you can send in, oh, I did it, now I can do it again and do it again until I get it right. But, you know, I have to like dismantle a wall to shoot on and like I'm my own, I find it a pain in the ass. Because um, I kind of miss going into, the thing about going in and auditioning in a room, it's kind of like this. You're looking at people, you're feeling their energy. So that's kind of fun, actually, than, than being at home and filming it. Um, but I, 
like I said, I like that um, I've been able to work in a diverse bunch of different kind of programs. Do you feel that now that the audition process is at home that you are more critical? I mean, most people are more critical of themselves so that you look at your audition and you go, oh, I did that wrong. So then you redo the scene again to yeah. send it out and then you send it out and you're like, I should have sent the original and I refilmed it. No, actually the, the beauty of filming it yourself is you can, uh, what, what I do is I'll do three, four takes in a row, period. I don't stop and look at each one. I'll just do four takes in a row. Uh, my friends and I have a shorthand for doing a scene, and um, like you know, cut. They'll go act better, and so the next day, the next day you're like, all right, I'm gonna step up your game and act better. That's our shorthand. You would never say that to someone new because it might crumple them. But you know, I'm like, I know what you mean. Act better. Yeah, I get it. Um, so I'll do four takes in a row, and then I kind of let my manager help pick the one to send in because I don't really have a frame of reference for what is good or not, to be honest. I'm like, you pick it. So uh, it's freeing uh, in that respect because if you go in and fumble your lines because you're nervous in front of the crowd, now that's alleviated, you know? Um, I think there's bonuses to both. I kind of miss some of the old school ways a little bit, but um, I love that, you know, you could live in Atlanta or Idaho and audition for a movie now and have the same shot as anyone else in Hollywood. That's fantastic. Yeah. It opens it up. I mean, social media technology has definitely grown and changed. Absolutely. For, for all of that. So another fantastic character that you have played is the legendary Mary Jane of Half-Baked. <laughs> I love the giggle. I love the giggle. So, and I'm sure you've been asked a million times, but how baked was everybody when filming Half Baked? Not at all. <laughs> like, honestly, I know it seems like, oh, we're all so hot. No, we're shooting a movie. Like, whatever I do in my off time, which, you know, we'll just say whatever I do, uh, that's for off time. You know what I mean? Because the thing is, like, let's say even with the, uh, which is legal now, we, I don't want to go in with red eyes and go up on my line. That's my truth on that. Uh, there might be other people I know who can, and that's fine, you know, who can do whatever they want, drink, smoke, I've worked with them all, and they're great on camera. Me personally, I like to use everything to explore the script at home and do my homework with, and my imagination is triggered by whatever things may be around, <laughs> or not, but, uh, but you know, that was all fake stuff. I'm not, again, what people were doing off hours is another story. <laughs> but um, also in that movie, I was like, weed is terrible. So, you know. <laughs> um, which is not. I mean, it is for some people, though. That's also the other thing. Like, I would never want to push it because if you're schizophrenic or different things uh, that can be triggered and exacerbated by that. I am not. I happen to like it better than a lot of medicines out there. But really, it, everybody is specific. Just like some people drink and all of a sudden they're, you know, I, I don't drink because I have allergic reactions to liquor. So everyone has to judge by their own body is what I know. Um, so while filming Half-Baked, what is your favorite memory of filming that movie? And what is the one part of that movie that you just, like, couldn't get past or the scene or any instance that you were just like having a hard time with that movie? That whole movie was super fun. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Like there wasn't really any hard stuff. Tamara Davis, who is married to um, 
a Beastie Boy was the director of it, and I'd worked with her on CB4, which was an early Chris Rock movie, so I already knew her. And um, I think the, the funnest part as a New Yorker was being like, how does Toronto double for New York? This does not look like New York City. Uh, but really, the, for me, the thing that struck me is I'd never done a movie where I was primarily the only girl. Like, Laura Silverman was in it too, and, but I didn't have any scenes with them, so it was like having four or five brothers around, and it was actually, this is what I thought at the time, and I feel terrible saying this, but it's kind of true. A lot less drama than four, four or five women. And that's not always the case. I'm, I'm a girl's girl, but I mean, there wasn't any like, well, what's your costume? And how many lines do you have today? And that kind of stuff that does permeate, or did back then. I think it's probably better now. So it was kind of fun to work with a bunch of boys um, and just be one of, one of the girls. They all had girlfriends or married, so it was like, you know what I'm saying as women, there wasn't any of that like, are we, are we're not. We're all good, we're just hanging out. So I, I think the camaraderie was my favorite part of that movie. Um, also, it was just kind of fun to play someone who's much more uptight than I am. Like, out of character. Yeah, I mean, it's within my wheelhouse, but this, at the same time, I can't imagine saying to anyone, like, what are you doing? Are you drinking that liquor? That's like, anyway, like that seems so Virgo. Sorry, Virgos. <laughs> <laughs> um. What was a scene in the craft that you struggled with? Oh, oh. Was there like one particular scene where you're like, and it could be just like getting the scene down, having your lines, your motions. Honestly, I think the rehearsals were trickier than the actual filming because they had all done, I'd done the Chris Rock movie which was technically a studio movie. But I, the other girls had worked more and were like, we worked more, and I'm like, I know. Um, so I was a little like intimidated in the rehearsal process, right, we're, we're rehearsing, and I said my line, whatever it was, like, what are you doing? And what are, Faruza turns around and goes, is she gonna say it that way? And I was like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? And then, but, but like, here's the other thing, is I didn't get indignant because it, the line had come out of my mouth in a weird way. <laughs> so she wasn't wrong, you know what I mean? Like that was, that wasn't, that was rude to do. But my thing about getting upset is like, why would I get defensive when it's actually like, she's right, that came out of my mouth from wrong. I wouldn't have said it the way she, and she's one of my best friends now. So I say all this to her face, you know? Um, but um, I think just the rehearsal process and realizing like, okay, these are three completely new actors I don't know, and we have to act like we're best friends. Like, how do I do that? And then luckily, Nev and I just hit it off from the second we looked at each other, and then we had each other during the film, which I think helped. But as far as hard scenes, no, I'll be honest, the only scene, it's, I didn't have a hard time with it, but the scene in the bathroom were like, the, you know, what's up, Robin? Dan, what's her name, Sarah, what are you doing? Like, um, why don't you leave the planet? You know, the, you should leave the school, the country, the planet. I'll be 100% honest, I didn't really know how I was gonna play that. I think I was gonna play it a certain way, and then we get in the scene, and they're all like, you know, and I was like, oh shit, I, I should revamp my take on this scene right now. But that's what you do, you know what I mean? Like, you rehearse something at home, and then acting is reacting, so you have to be, be able to move within the moment and go, oh, 
oh, okay, it has a different feel than how I pictured it at home. You can't just do what you rehearsed at home. You have to be able to roll with whatever, whatever the new energy is. Uh, that's literally what acting is. So, you know, I'm trying to, you know what the hardest part was? That everyone else had parents and I didn't. For me, personally, I'm like, why everyone got parents and the black girl doesn't? We shot a scene with my parents and they cut them. <laughs> and everyone else's parents ended up. So things like that that I think if you're not me, you're like, what do you mean? I wouldn't even know that happened. Or, you know, not, I really wasn't invited on the publicity junket. And that would never happen today. You would never exclude. Because they said, we don't think black people are going to see this movie. <laughs> so I wasn't invited on the publicity junket. And that just wouldn't, thank goodness it's all these years later. And that wouldn't happen today. But I would say that was hard on not just my ego, but if we're being really frank, my pocketbook. Because if you're doing the publicity junket, then people are seeing you on that, and then they're hiring you, and you're at the MTV Movie Awards on stage, not like me in the audience, while the other three actresses were on stage. So that's the kind of racism stuff that was going on back then. And was not fun to live through? Why am I harping on it now? No other reason than to say we have come, for your first question. We have come further, because that would just never happen today. Right. So that's, that's, I think, the toughest thing, because the actual filming of the movie, we had a truck, we had a truck full of candy. Just, it was the candy truck. It was amazing. Dang. Uh, where's our candy truck? <laughs> just saying, we had nothing to complain about. Like, we got to go to the Sony store and buy Sony stuff at a big discount, and then you know, go to my Star Wagon trailer, um, and then back then, it took a lot. Now we film on digital. That was shot on film film, so you're like, oh, it's gonna take three hours to light this scene. I'm gonna go to my trailer and watch a movie. Now it's much quicker because of digital, so I actually really appreciated the languid, luxurious uh, pace that film had, to be honest, because everything was broken up in ways that each beat became super important. That said, there's nothing like being able to jam out a movie in three weeks now, so there's benefits to both. But I do miss the way film makes skin look. You know, digital's kind of harsh, I think, depending on who's filming you. And then which techniques and they're then which, using. Yeah, which technique. Yeah. But I love that, um, I'd like to think that eventually there'll be more sweat. Um, <laughs> and there'll be more, um, There'll be more independent films coming out of people like you all in here because now the tools are here. Anyone can kind of make a film. Now, can you make it look good? Can you make it sound good? Because sound is really important in all those things. I don't know. But I know that it's much, it's much more feasible to create your own art uh, because of our advances. So. And you bet, I mean, before AI takes over, at least, right? <laughs> um, so you have... Um, or how difficult do you find it to keep your personal life and public appearance separate in the world of social media nowadays? <laughs> I think I'm kind of like who I am. One thing about me is even you know back in the day to now, people, my friends have always said like you're exactly the same. You haven't really changed much. Like you're always who you are, whether you're in a movie or not in a movie. So I like that about myself. I will say social media. Like you guys are probably much more savvy than me, but you gotta be a little careful. Like. I stayed off it for a long time because I got a real stalker. Kept showing up and swatted my house and then showed up at my house with instruments and things. And I had to go to court. And so that was after like the MySpace days, right? And so I was like, how do I 
re-engage because I do want to be on social media, but that scared the F out of me, and I'm, I'm an extroverted introvert, right? So I can be like this, but I like quiet time at home, and I gotta stare at the wall to decompress. So that was all overwhelming for me. Now I, now I will I'll get litigious on your ass so fast if you stalk me, um, and things like that. But I think, um, I think it's important not to give everything away about oneself on social media, right? I do think I'm truthful to who I am, though I don't think it's a facade, like not at all. I think it's, it's genuinely a side of me. But I don't always talk about my relationships or things like that, um, and I think that's an okay boundary to have. No, I, it's really it's really about your own boundaries that you decide is, is fine for you. And it doesn't mean I wouldn't put things like that up there, but in the end, like I used to put uh, shots of my house, and um, somebody on Twitter kept saying, now I know the layout of your house, and now I know. And all that felt creepy. So again, my pictures tend to be not of my living room, so everyone knows my layout. That's really true. Yeah, I think that with uh, the advances of social media and how technical people can get back, you know, they can back search on Google now and, and you, you know, can zoom in if you have a piece of mail in the background, like that can have your address on it. I just think it's about being smart and careful, right? But it's also trickier now with parasocial relationships, you know, because my stalker was like, I, you need me to save you. And they truly believe that, right? And so I have a lot of empathy also for uh, mental illness because that's something else when someone has convinced themselves that they you need, I need you to save me. That's a whole head trip. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I took about five or six years off. And now I'm trying to post again. But you know, it's, it's slow going, I think. It's just tricky as a woman, you know, as a female to re realize the size wise. I'm more vulnerable. And then because of the craft, you know, there are definitely people who are like, I want to do magic on you. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I put up a picture of my throwback from like my first headshot and somebody on Instagram wrote, you know, I can tell there's a, there's an ex attached to you and da 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 da. I was like, uh, that picture was from the year of our Lord 1902. Pretty sure whoever it is is not attached to me anymore. So just have to watch because people can look at your feed and go, I know how to manipulate you based on your post. I can see what's important to this person. So, you know, eyes open, eyes wide shut. Uh, what is something that you learned when getting into tarot and learning more of like the magic side of things and, and that realm that you would tell someone who's starting out to like look for, to be more intuitive, to listen to themselves, like where would you guide them? I would say like most people, not everyone, but most people have like that inner dialogue. Some people don't, I don't know, I don't understand that, but like the inner voice. And I just started when I was very young, I sort of pay attention to things. And um, I think I tell this story in the book though, but like once I moved to LA, I was in Whole Foods or Mrs. Gooch's, which it used to be. And um, I was grabbing some pre-made food and I, I hear, my intuition comes in in different ways. It, I can definitely develop it with tarot and other things, but basically 
just be sitting there. It's the same gut intuition our ancestors use. You can call it all different names. Some are airy-fairy, some are really basic, right? But if I just say your gut intuition or your sixth sense, then it doesn't freak people out as much. But anyway, so I'm at Whole Foods and I hear this sort of leaf rustling sound. That's how it kind of comes. So clear audience, clear, when, I'm, when I'm tired, I'm such a New Yorker. Um, clear audience, and so I'll hear sort of a rustling, and then I heard something literally say, don't take the first samosa. And I took the first samosa, and I got home, and there was a bug in it. So that was really me going, all right, all right, all right. You need to start listening, because it's that same thing that told your ancestors, like, don't go that way, because there's a big cat waiting that way to you know, jump on you and eat you. Just whatever it is, don't think it's that mystical, to be honest. I think it's just accessing something that we've kind of buried. Like, we watch a lot of TV, we do things that bury all that energy so i would say if you get a chance go go stick your feet in nature too like i do like grounding i think people call it all different weird names but it's just what we did as a kid right you run around if you're lucky and you have some grass um even in new york city though we had patches of grass and i like to go outside take my shoes off i think that kind of helps with intuition also, my other piece of advice is, you know how you will have something you want to figure out, you'll ask every single one of your friends for advice? That means you already know the answer. <laughs> you're just looking for, you know, validation from other people, but you, you already know, and you're probably trying to talk yourself into the other way of doing it, even though you know the right thing. Because again, I do believe if you have to ask 20 people, like, are you asking for advice or are you asking for attention, right? And it's okay, I like attention. But I just think there are, I think, you know, as I've grown up, I've found I often razor a lot of things, which is to say, what is, what is the simplest answer before I go, it's mystical, it's magical, like Occam razor, that shit. And then beyond that, there is a lot of things floating around. I've always, as a little kid, been able to pick up on energy or with my parents' friends said the exact one thing that crumpled them. Which is not a great skill for a child. You're like, I just said one thing, and this adult is like, but that's my intuitive sense was picking up on what was going on with them. So I lean into that now because whether you're a, a, a CEO in a boardroom, it can only help to be able to intuitively pick up what's happening. So I look at it that way, and um, everyone has, Fruz and I argue about this, I'll leave you on that. I think everyone has the ability, and she's like, no, they don't. And I'm like, yes, they do. It's just undeveloped, perhaps, or something people haven't thought about, but it's there for the taking for everyone. Or they're not open to it. Right, or, or you're not open to it, which again, is fine, you know, like whatever anyone wants to do, but I really, I really like Tarot uh, for helping me assess what is happening, what, what would be the right thing for me to do. And um, I do find it to be kind of accurate, why? Because it's coming from me. My reaction to those images on the card, my, my visceral reaction is gonna be completely different than your visceral reaction, because you have your life experiences, so it's your, it's coming from you, you know? It's gonna give you some insight too, which is so much better. Like, people on TikTok are like letting strangers read their tarot cards, and I'm like, I don't get that. Like, who are, you, who are they reading for? Everyone, no one? So I'm always like, learn to read your own. It's really inexpensive, and it's super self-soothing. I think a lot of us were not taught to self-soothe when we were little children, or our needs weren't met, right? So tarot is one way to kind of calm, calm your own ass down. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're gonna move on with one more question and then we're gonna start taking some questions from the audience. So if you guys have anything, be prepared. We're gonna um, have John come forward and he'll uh, line up with you and, and start asking some questions in just a second. 
Um, Somebody please ask me something. <laughs> um, I have a random question for you, um, completely different than probably most, but what are your top two favorite cities or states or countries to film in, and what are your worst two that you have filmed in? Oh, I shot two movies in Minnesota and um, Minneapolis, which is a great city, actually. Uh, so I don't hate the city. What I hate are their million lakes and their mosquitoes that are the size of this table. Like, I woke up with three bites on my face while filming, and so then I had to cheat away so the camera couldn't see it. So I'm not, I'm, it's a great city, though. Uh, but that's not my favorite place to film. Um, we're, meanwhile, my friends are like, I just got back from filming in Prague. And I'm like, uh, Albany, you know? <laughs> so I, I would like to go to more exotic places to film. Was that the question? Yeah, yeah. your two worst and your two favorite. Oh, and I love, um, the first time I went to Amsterdam in the Netherlands, like I knew my way around without a map. It felt like a past life thing. I was just like, this is my town. Um, and not just because of the partying at all. Um, it's a, I love an old medieval city. And those cities in Belgium and the Netherlands are like that. So Amsterdam's one of my favorite places. Also um, Santorini, Greece. If you, I mean, it looks like those postcards. It's, it's stunning. I would say if anyone, if anyone, you ever get a chance, good ticket to go. Do not hesitate to go to Greece, depending on their crumbling economy. But you know, it's beautiful. at different locations and now for that last for that shot we were in a sound stage at Sony so they built a two-story house inside a sound stage and um, there was a hydraulic press you know underneath me um, so I, I think that was really cool because it felt like old-school Hollywood movie maker you know like that black and white movies that old-school kind of felt a little like that and that was just fun because I had no idea what to expect. And I think the last line, you got to try it. That's an ad lib. And to this day, I'm like, was I talking about, was I in the moment? Or was I telling them they got to try the hydro? I don't really know, but I know it worked. Um, so that, that was really, that was super fun. Thanks for your question. OK, we had one up here. Um, I think that Bob Quickly mentioned they weren't letting you do the promotion for the movie because they didn't think black people would want to go see it. But was there any discussion that if you were promoting the movie, then black people would go see it? No. <laughs> because it was the 90s. No, there was no discussion. There was no discussion. Like, that's so optimistic that there was a discussion. There was no discussion, you know. Again, and when you think about the times, there had been... Some of you older and Gen Xers know this, but like there'd been all those John Hughes movies, right? Big teen movies, no black people in those, and the one Asian guy literally was like long duck dong, and then they made fun of him the whole time. So that was de rigueur at that time. 
right? So coming out, and I like John Hughes movies. I'm not even, you know, sort of knocking them. I'm just saying that's where we're coming out. And then the movies that were floating around at that time were like Boys in the Hood and, um, you know, A Gun and The Hood for black people. And so it was just, again, a different time with no discussion, um, I think. I understand your question, though, because you would think, well, maybe we should include her because we could get another audience. But again, you know, I get, I get their concern back then because to this day, if I tell, like, depending on where I am, if I'm in the South and I'm like, hey, fellow black person, I wrote a tarot book, they're like, oh my God. So, you know, it's not unbased in something that it, people might not see it, but, you know, we're not a monolith and nobody likes being lumped in. And um, I think the hardest thing for me with that was some of the other girls in the movie were like, well, it's because we're famous. And I was like, yeah, well, how do you think um, you make people famous? You include them in the press. If I'm un not included in the press, I have no chance of becoming something bigger. And you're only famous because they put you in a magazine, too. Like, I'm in movies, I'm in stuff. So to this day, I would still say that's an interesting topic that I think not everyone understands. Like, like when I had to be fight, fight, fight to be included in a convention, you know, I had certain, all the other three girls were at this convention, and my convention guy kept saying, hey, she wants to go, she wants to go, and they were like, what? And so I said, fine, I'm going on Twitter. And I did, and I don't know that that was good or bad, but I just felt like if you're having the other three, and I say I want to come, and you'll have the first reunion since the screening, since the premiere, and you're not interested in that, what does that say? Is it Because that's money. Money always talks. So if you're not interested in the money that that's going to bring in, i got to look at what else it might be. You know, that's how I look at it. I'm not saying that was their motivation, but I'm saying this is how it plays out, you know. And then I had a couple of the other girls in the movie were like, well, no, I'm there because of this and she's there because of that. And I was like, stop. Stop. You know, like I dealt with that in the 90s. You explaining to me why I shouldn't be upset. I'm not in the mood anymore. And I'm too old. <laughs> So, you know, that's one side of it, but the other side to round back to something great is, I'm so glad I was in that movie. I love the subject matter. I think it is so fun and so interesting, and Fruz and I giggle sometimes that we help, we did help bring witchcraft to the forefront, because coming out of the 80s and late and early 90s was, we were just coming out of satanic panic, you know, where... You'd have to read about that if you're very young, but everything was attributed to satanic panic. And so coming out of that, we showed a different side because we also were in the 70s and 80s crone witches hags, right? Here were four attractive women. And I also think the analogy of uh, burgeoning female sexuality and witchcraft are kind of a perfect matchup, you know? And, and male sexuality, same thing. Like once you're, you hit it your teens and you realize like what you can do, with just a look or a thing, you know, that's the analogy too of the witchcraft is how overwhelming it is when all of that hits us as younger people. Do we have any other questions? Oh, we're gonna go to the back and then we'll go to the front. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I was just kind of curious, besides what you're doing now, has there been a point in which um, you thought, man, I'd, I'd really like to work with him or her again on, on something or, or even the other side, of the, if, if it's somebody that you haven't worked with yet, that you might think, man, I, 
I can really knock it out of the park with this one. If I really work with this one, who would that be? Oh, I mean, us actors think that all the time, by the way. Uh, there are so many people. Like, I would love to work with um, Quentin Tarantino. I don't know if he's stayed retired or if he's coming back, but a lot of my friends have worked with him. Um, he's a tough director. I'm not saying it'd be fun, but I love his films. So that's someone I'd still love to work with, like a Scorsese, you know, all those people. I had, I went to a Vanity Fair Oscar dinner party and talked to George Lucas all night. And I was like, I really love George Lucas. <laughs> we didn't talk, here's my little tip too. If you're ever at a thing, right, and there's an actor or a director, and maybe you just, we didn't talk about acting. He's a director, I'm an actor, we already know that, right? So we just talked about life, life, because that's common. Everybody has living and living experiences in common. I don't think we would have talked all night if I'd been like, I really wouldn't be in your movie. He'd be like, oh, a fan, you know, and, and move off. So my little tip is like, if you ever see someone, just approach them, you know, you can, you can approach people and in, you're just as important. The reason everyone who came up to my table and they said, you're the reason. Movies are still being seen. It really is you guys, right? Like, sure, me, I'm important, me, yeah, but you're the reason every, all these movies are alive and the posters are still out there and they're still being shown. So you're an equal part of it is what I'm trying to say. Never, never underestimate your own importance. Okay, another question. We, I know we have a couple up in the front. And then we have another one in the back again. Male C for your book. We're getting to you, girl. Hey, so uh, I'm Craig from Tapping No Captain Podcast, and we talked already. And uh, I have actually two questions. One uh, is the craft legacy. Um, I don't know if you saw her or was a fan. I don't know her. Nice gown. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we saw the ending credits and seen the original, uh, one of the original cast uh, members being in there, Nancy Downs. And I want to know, do you think they're going to make a part three and maybe will you be in there? I don't know. I honestly don't know. We had a lot of meetings. Like, my story on that one is we had a lot of meetings about that movie, and then they were like, we don't need you guys. So, uh, like I said, nice gowns. How'd that work out? <laughs> and then my, my last question was, uh, also, I'm a Virgo, so that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> they're the hardest working sign, though. They work hard. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, I do appreciate you opening up doors for all the other women who play uh, black uh, witch witches, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm also uh, a fan of, like, Vampire Diaries, stuff like that. So, pretty awesome uh, that you opened those doors. But I also want to say, are you a fan of anything else that's nerdy, like Marvel, DC, things like that? Oh, you know what? I got to say, I used to be a bigger fan of Marvel and DC. I'm so super saturated at this point that I'm... And so are you, right? Like, it's been 10 years. I get it. You're in superheroes. I actually would I would really love a, a small movie with a story and a plot at this point and an emotion-driven thing. Like, that's just me, though. I know a lot of you really love the superhero stuff, and so do I. But I think I'm just super saturated with it all. But nerdy stuff, I am a nerd. Like, I'm literally at home teaching myself to play keyboard so that I can understand my bass guitar better while learning, you know, like I just got a new photography. Like, I, I, I like that I can entertain myself with nerdy things. Um, I'm an avid reader, too. Like, I read a lot. Uh, but I don't know. I know that's not the nerdy answer you want. I'd be like, oh, I love Spider-Man, but there's 20 of them. 
Which... <laughs> but by the way, if you're producing a Spider-Man movie, I love them. <laughs> I love them so much. <laughs> right up here. Like, so much. Right here. Yeah. My question's not that deep, but I don't know. Did, did you... Do I need this? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah I'll repeat it. Sorry, did you um, have dive experience? <laughs> so the question was, did I have dive experience for the crap? Girl, no. Um, I got first... Well, there was, it's a body double when she's going into the water. It's literally a, a diver that they found. I was scared just walking out onto the plank because I'm not, oh, oh. And um, I got out to the end and was like, oh my God, I'm gonna fall. That's what a wimp I am. Um, I would say the interesting thing to the three black people who are in the audience uh, was that, was no, this is the girl who played my stunt diver and she seemed really nice, but her whole thing was, um, they had to put dark makeup on me to match you. They had to put dark, and I was like, yeah, because you're playing me. And um, she was like, well, it's darker than I am. And I was like, yeah, because it's not about you. <laughs> so she was a sweet girl, but I, I got kind of like, it's not about you after a while, because I was like, I don't care that you're two shades darker or lighter. Like, I could go out in the sun right now and I'm five shades darker. So she's even more hung up on color. That's why I said it was for the three people. Anyway, um, and you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think... I think when it comes to that, I don't know, I like to live in the moment, each moment, each moment, each moment, everything. Did you have a second part to that? No, it was pretty much it. Okay. I've always wondered, because you never, you, you can't tell sometimes if it's a stunt double or not. And I watched that movie a thousand times, and it looks like you all the way down. No, they listen, at that time, they said they had to search long and hard to find a brown diver. <laughs> There's a very small pool of brown from, but they found her. And actually, my character had another storyline of being bulimic when, when it was an Anglo character, she was bulimic. And I kind of wish they kept that in, because in the end, when you think about what is Rochelle's issue? Yeah. She's burnt, she's crazy, she's uh, suicide, was suicidal. What's Rochelle's issue? What, that she's black? Because that's what I remember thinking back then was they think my blackness is a problem. But now that it's all these years later, I'm like, what I get is it's not. And I think it's deeper than what they thought. I think they did think my blackness was a problem. But what I think now is that storyline stands up, right? Like, unfortunately, 20 years later, people are still being, or 30, whatever it is, people are still being bullied for many reasons, sexuality, color, all these different things. So I do think it, it, it holds up. I just, like I said at the time, and I was like, I don't, I don't, what's my problem? That I don't like races? That seems to be not my problem. <laughs> so that's, that's to me still a little nebulous in the original movie. All right, so we have time for one more question. She had her hand up. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want the mic? Project. Project. I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Okay. Um, but that kind of actually leads me into my question, which I wanted to ask about your time working on the Horror Noir documentary, and if that kind of solidified or changed how you view uh, perceptions of race by others, especially working with such rich material, both from Tanana Redu 
and Robin Williams Coleman, who wrote the actual text. For so her question is about the, the um, Shutter documentary, Horror and Noir. I don't know if you all have seen it. It's very good. If you get a chance, it basically is focused in on movies, uh, horror movies that had people of color in them, right? Which is in every movie from back in the day. But it's really, really, it was originally a book by Robin Means Coleman, and we did it as a documentary. And then there's also a scripted, like, anthology horror series that I'm in based off it. But the documentary itself is very eye-opening. In the end, a lot of times, and I had known these things because I am an avid reader, but if you don't know, then you don't really understand what the analogy of the monster is, right? And how that is an analogy for the presence of blackness in your town or, you know, the one black person who just moved in and they are represented maybe by the creature from the Black Lagoon. And that is, you know. So go watch a documentary because I, I can't break it. And we got to wrap this up, right? And I can't break it down in such short time. But it, it doesn't matter if you're not black, right? Because you could be Swedish and have the same kind of things that were layered on your people. It, it's not specific. But you will learn about that in this movie. And, you know, I, I, can't, I can't say enough good things about that documentary. And basically, up until the time I was in the craft, like, again, if you were in a, in a horror movie, if I was in anything, my number one line was, are you okay? Are you okay? Because this is not about me. Like, I am not the main character. I am not the blonde in peril. Are you okay? So just sort of dissecting the friend roles, too, from the leads and the things and... And um, just check it out if you get a chance. It's free. It's streaming on Amazon Prime, I think, if you have uh, Shudder. Maybe you have to pay for How many of you have Shudder, by the way? Oh, my God. Yay, that's so great to see because, you know, back a few years ago, not as many people had it. So it's a tight 90, 85 minutes, 90. It's tight. It's tight little piece, and it's funny as well. It's very entertaining and funny. So do check that out. All right, you guys, thank you, Rachel, for doing our panel. She's going to head back to her table in about 10 minutes, give her some time, and uh, make sure you stop by and say hi. And yeah, please come by and say hi. And also, thank you so much for showing up to this very hot, moist room. Yes. Yeah. I really appreciate it. All right, man, there you go. There is your interview with Rachel True. I hope you enjoyed it. We will be back. Next week, as far as I know, with a friend of mine, Sean Heights, who his newest feature film, Cannibal Comedian, is doing really well in the in the circuits. Um, but it will be a uh, fun time to talk to him about everything that he has coming up. Maybe his thoughts on the strike as well. If he chooses to comment on that, um, I'm not going to push the subject very hard because the director's union is the one union that has not gone on strike. They, they did come to a agreement. So he is allowed, as far as I know, to appear on a podcast and talk about his work. But yeah, that'll be exciting. And then we will fall back into doing some Sinister Creature Con stuff in a couple weeks, and yeah. So until then, man, enjoy Campfire Chronicles, enjoy Haunt Graveyard, which is going to be coming, like I said, and as always, thanks so much for listening. Um, Look up Rachel True if you've never watched any of her work. 
definitely worth watching all the stuff that she does because she is a uh, really good actress. Anyway, thank you again. Stay spooky, everybody. May the stars light your way throughout all your journeys. May the stars light your way throughout all your days. May you see all the world, systems, stars, and planets. May the stars light your way and see you safely home. Did you like that?